Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome back to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss the best of sports from back in the day. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and I'm grateful each and every one of you taking time out of your busy day to give us a quick listen. And just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you hear us. This is our special welcome back to football edition of the podcast as the college football season and NFL season is upon us. And to celebrate the return of football, my sports brothers from different mothers, Mark Booty and Charles Combs, are back to share their favorite teams, their favorite players, and famous moments, along with what makes them true football fans. Later in the show, I will break down my official prediction of the NFL regular season, postseason, and Super Bowl 57 on February 12th in Glendale, Arizona. So sit back, pump up the volume. You're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a proud member of the Sports History Network. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. Give me a second to talk about Joe Zagorski's pro football in the 1970s. In the 70s, the sport of pro football grew in popularity like never before. The game became more modern, more technologically savvy, and, thanks to the tinkering of the rules throughout the decade, the product that one saw in pro football made the struggle on the field so much more exciting to watch. When you hear Joe Zagorski talk about pro football in the 1970s, it will bring you back to a time and place where your recollections of the 70s are joyfully relived once again. Joe explores many different facets and elements of the 70s, like the players, the teams, the games, the controversies, and the legacies that surround the decade. Take a listen to Joe Zagorski, an NFL author and host of the Pro Football in the 1970s podcast. It's just one of the great podcasts available through the Sports History Network. Check them out at sportshistorynetwork.com. And welcome back to this edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and this is the, the brand new NFL college football season edition of the podcast. And we're going to be talking to two guys that 
are no stranger to this podcast. They've been here on here before to talk basketball, but this time we're going to change up gears and we're going to talk football and more specifically college football and high school and college football and pro football and not and their own personal memories and their own personal stories and likes and dislikes of the NFL and college football. Once again, I introduce you guys. First off, Mr. Mark Booty, he's joining us once again, as well as Mr. Charles Combs. Guys, welcome back to the show. Glad to be on, man. Thanks. Likewise. All right, we're going to start off with a little college football, because right now we both, all three of us, are actually watching the Florida State LSU ball game. And um, right now, hey, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good game so far. Um, and we're going to start off with college, okay? Now, Mark, you've already admitted that you are a Florida State fan, unapologetic Florida State fan. What drew you to Florida State as a fan? Deion Sanders. I remember as a, as, as, a, as a young man, I was watching the game with my brothers, and they were, at the time, big Hurricane fan. And, man, when I saw Deion playing, I was like, oh, yes. And, of course, I had to be different than my brothers. Yes. You know? So, uh, you know, I got one that's a Florida Gator fan and another one. So I was like, okay, well, this is the team I'm going to rep. And since then. Well, I mean, I, I have something of a similar case, you know, but Chuck, I'm going to go ahead with start with you. I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, now, now, now things might have changed, but – I remember when you and I used to run the yard together at Southern University. You always used to wear a Colorado Buffaloes hat, you know. Are you still repping the bus, or you kind of like changed the yard, or you kind of like went away from you know the guys in Boulder to do another team? Well, um, I didn't kind of change. I don't really have a team. I've always liked various teams in different time periods, and the time the two time period you're alluding to, I kind of. Um, like Colorado, like in the late eighties and the nineties, because you know they're running the um, they're running the option, and then one of the three best wishbone quarterbacks I've ever seen, um, Darian Hagen. You know he was just a magician; he could pitch the ball at any time. And I think the other two quarterbacks, um, Jamel Holloway and um, Oklahoma, Tommy Frazier, Nebraska. Mm. Um, they're, they're the other two that's in the discussion. It was always um kind of kind of drawn to them the swag they used to play with they they used to if you remember correctly at the time they used to recruit a lot of inner city baton rouge new orleans kids you know like cordell stewart you know kids like that because you know that was in the days when lsu didn't really um pre-saving when lsu didn't really recruit the inner city baton rouge and new orleans kids so they typically used to go to colorado nebraska Florida State, Miami in those days, you know what I mean? So that that's kind of what um, drew me to them. And, you know, kind of as of now, I just kind of like to watch different things. I watch primarily SEC football now, but still watch, you know, a few a few things here and there, you know. Well, I mean, I remember, you know, I, I brought, I made, a, made a, like a little bit of a list of things that I remember one of the, one of the great games that I remember, and one of those is the 91 Orange Bowl with Colorado against Notre Dame. And if I remember correctly, Darren Hagen got hurt in that game, and Charles Johnson was the quarterback. And, you know, yes. if it wasn't for a mysterious clipping penalty when on Notre Dame, I remember when – It was clipping. 
<laughs> you know, in a mysterious clipping penalty, I remember that was an awesome game. You know, Notre Dame could not stop Eric Bieniemy. They couldn't stop him. From what I remember, from what I remember of that, of the, from that game, you know, Eric Bieniemy was running roughshod throughout the. But it was more of a defensive game, from what I remember. But you know, Bieniemy was just. You know, was just doing it to Notre Dame that night in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, they won that game ten to nine, and yeah. um, like it was a defensive struggle. And you know, Colorado could really move the ball up and down the field, but they kept getting bogged down in the red zone. And then you know, they would either get pushed out of field goal range, or the field goal kicker would miss the kick. And then you know, that was the second year in a row that they played Notre Dame in the Orange. Bowl. Bowl yep. because they were undefeated the previous season and they were number one. If had they won the game, they would have been national champions that year. Right. But they um they fell they fell to um Notre Dame, you know, they fell to Notre Dame that year in the Orange Bowl. So they came back and kind of benched. And honestly, it was a um a critical call. And to be honest with you, it was it, it wasn't a definitive clip. You you have to let that go. Right. But I guess they were like, okay, since they had lost to him the year before, they right. threw the flag. Because honestly, that, that you know, it wasn't a definite clip. It looked like the block was from the side and his head was inside, but they kind of threw it, just being totally honest with you. Right. The, you know, and, and Mark, you said Notre Dame. I mean, you said uh, Florida State. And I remember when Florida State played Notre Dame, in a regular season game, one versus two, what they called the game of the century, which was a lot of game of the centuries in college football. Mm-hmm. I want to say that was a 93 with Charlie yep. Moore winning the Heisman Trophy. You know, I remember that game because I remember one of the things I remember about that was kind of like off the field sort of thing because I was in college at the time and my roommate was a big Notre Dame fan. And I respect, as I still do, respected. Florida State, almost to the point of liking them. Um, I, I'm, I'm not never really was pro, you know. I never really was a quote unquote Florida State fan. But I'm gonna let you know who who my who I'm a fan of in a minute. But um, but I remember that game. I mean, there was like a lot of hype for that game coming, you know, with Notre Dame against uh, Florida State. And that was our only loss. Yeah, we, we lost that game and still went on to win the national title. But that that game hurt. <laughs> yeah, it really did. I, that game it, hurt. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody talked about how, you know, that was going to be, you know, you know, people want to see how good Charlie Ward was. He was on the way to winning the Heisman, you know, but that was your only loss, and that was also Bobby Bowden's first national title, which yeah. was well-deserved, you know, really. And truly. Oh, yeah. As for me, guys, Charles, I think you know this. But I think you do. I'm not sure if you do or not, but you I kind of but I do remember I used to have a sweatshirt I used to wear all the time when I was at Southern. And with the letters UCLA. I've always been a UCLA fan. And I've always been more of a closet Pac-12 fan altogether. And the reason why was because I like the I like offense. I've always loved offense. And UCLA, even though they're kind of up and down, they've been up and down for years, I still love them. Here's why. First of all, they have the best colors and the best uniform in college football. Pop or bar none. Okay. They're so good, in fact, 
that those were my wedding colors. Columbia blue and gold were my wedding colors. Charles, you remember because you was at my wedding. Uh, they, 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 they were, yes. And I go back to Terry Donahue as the head coach when Rick Duheiser was the, was the quarterback. Ken Easley was playing DB for them. You know, I go back to the late 70s, early 80s with UCLA, and I've been a UCLA fan ever since. You know, when Troy Aikman was there, when they had Tommy Maddox at quarterback, you know, but it just seemed like we could never, whenever we get up, you know, get a good start to the season, we end up getting tripped up by somebody like Arizona or, of course, USC. You know, they've always been the thorn in our side, so I've always been a UCLA fan, and more so, I'm more of a Pac-12 guy. You know, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I remember that, and um, I, they they were pretty good school, and they just always been up and down, and they've always kind of been an enigma because they're right there in um, L.A. and California, which is a talent-rich state, and obviously UFC has kind of been up and down as well, but um, it just always is an enigma as to why they can't be um, consistently um, good and then another because I remember the battles you guys used to have with um, USC, um, Don James University of Washington, and um, then you know you're alluding to Arizona. The Desert Swarm knocked you off a few times. Every time you kind of get it going, Desert Swarm defense knocked you off. And at the outset of what you were saying, of what I remembered, I didn't remember a particular team, but I remember the particular bowl that was always your favorite bowl game. And it was right. always the holiday bowl because you love offense and Absolutely. without fail every year, the holiday bowl used to be the wildest game every year without fail. Yeah, right there in San Diego, it started off. I remember watching Brigham BYU playing, I want to say it was SMU, where, you know, when, when Jim McMahon was the quarterback of, of, of BYU and they had this unbelievable comeback and they one on the last second Hail Mary. I think that was like in 79. I was that's like one of the first football memories that I have, you know, watching the Holiday Bowl, watching the Rose Bowl with my grandpa, you know, and of course watching the USC UCLA game, which ironically, which believe it or not, if you ever notice, that that's like one of the few college football games where both teams wear their home uniforms. If you ever go back, watch a game from there. Both yeah. of them wear their home uniforms because they're both because both teams are in Los Angeles. You know, they, you know. Of course, it may be in the Coliseum. You know, and in the and then in another year it might be in the Rose Bowl. You know, where UCLA's home stadium is. You know, they. You know, it, and I've always loved that. I always loved like the, the 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 green field of the of the Rose Bowl with the contrast of the blue and gold of, the, of UCLA. I, I, that just pops off the screen. That's like one of the first things I just fell in love with. Not only by how they play, but just by the way they look. I just thought it was so cool. And you're not the only one. I was, I, I was a closet Pac-10 pack, pack team, like the Mike Bellotti era in yeah. the Oregon Ducks. Man, them guys, Joey Harrington, <laughs> he didn't do much in the NFL, but he lit it up. Uh, in college, and and that team was really really good. Now you can't you can't forget you can't sleep on Aaron Rodgers either when he was that. Yeah, kid. yeah, you're right. 
Because I remember one year they played USC. I watched the game. Cal played USC in the Coliseum. And I think Aaron Rodgers completed like his first 20 passes of the game. You, Cal ended up losing because, I mean, they, they didn't have no answer from Matt Leonard and, and, um, and Reggie Bush at the time. But Aaron Rodgers kept it coach. That was the first time I had ever heard of Aaron Rodgers, you know, when he was at Cal and when he played USC. And he had just, I think he threw for like close to 400 yards, but the, but the Bears still lost. So, you know, that was, that, was, that was something else, you know. So coming into this college football, I'm going to put you guys on the spot real quick. Um, who do you guys think is will win will be hailed national champions when this season ends? From the looks of the game the other day, Georgia and Oregon, Georgia looks solid. They didn't make that one mistake that entire game. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sitting here in the belly of the beast. I live 30 minutes from UGA's campus, so. That's all you see around here, UGA. I went. I was in the store yesterday, and that's all you saw was Georgia stuff. And the whole and the, the and from what I saw on television at the Mercedes Benz Stadium downtown, all you saw was red and black throughout the whole stadium. I mean, I you didn't see any Oregon fans there, you know. So you know, I I, I want us. I would love to see Georgia repeat. I would love to see somebody other than the SEC team win. You know, but I know that's kind of difficult. But you know, you got Alabama, you got then you can't sleep on Clemson, Ohio State gonna figure out a way to mess it up, I think. So so I think it's gonna be the Alabama, Georgia to win the whole thing. Well, I kinda got to agree with, with you guys, um, because it looks like Georgia looking really good and then it seems like on top of that, which is even more dangerous, they were already good enough, and it seemed like their glaring weakness was that quarterback, but it seemed like that rematch in the national title game last year with um, Bennett at the quarterback, he took a gigantic leap forward in that game and kind of won them that game, and it looked like he kind of picked up right where he left off yesterday. And, you know, it's, it's usually, you know, try to not let the defense dominate and turn the ball over against the defense and then try to limit the running game and try to force him to make plays, but he's making plays now. So if he's going to do that, it's going to be really tough, but I probably still have to go with Alabama probably because from all appearances, it appears that they have the best quarterback and they also have the best coach, obviously as well. And when you have, you have that type of combination that allows you a lot of room for error a lot of a, a lot of times and I, I just think once again it'll come down to the two of them but I honestly think if I had to you had to twist my arm right now I think Alabama would probably um find a way to eke it out this year. okay now we're going to shift gears guys to the National Football League and um the season starts of, of course this upcoming Thursday and uh with the Bills and the Rams and just to kick things off, which would be a dynamite matchup for the first game of the year. Um, what do you think from looking like looking back, we're looking ahead to this year. A friend of mine always asked me this question right after the Super Bowl, and I'm gonna pose this question to you guys. Will the Rams repeat? No. Chuck? No. I don't think either because Stafford is coming off of a, you know, he has a sore elbow 
coming into the season. And I think with the Rams last year, it was basically Aaron Donald and that defense that rose to the occasion and Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup would probably have always been like the, one of the best receivers in the NFL no one ever talks about until now. You know, and he's been always been that type of player for the Rams, even when they had Jared, Jared Goff at quarterback. Now, as far as, like, teams are concerned, Mark, I know for a fact of who your favorite team is because you are no – you have no shame in None. your in, – in, in your in – your, your, your fandom of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yes, sir. You know, you've been that way for a while. You've been a Bucks fan almost as long as I've known you pretty much. I think it was uh, – who was it? Uh, Jeff Garcia. Right. That's when I became a Bucks fan, when he played there. <laughs> no, 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 just to let you guys know a little bit, a little bit of history of, your, of yours truly. You know who was the first jersey I ever got? First mm-hmm. NFL jersey I ever got was actually Leroy Selman of the Buccaneers. Really? Wow. Back in in the late 70s, early 80s, my uncle lived in Tampa, okay? And he came to visit. My dad's brother lived in Tampa. And he had bought his son a Doug Williams jersey, and he bought me a Leroy Selman jersey, which was like, I wanted Doug Williams. I didn't want Diddy <laughs> <laughs> but I, But after learning about him, I was like, you know, that, that wasn't bad. You know, getting, getting Leroy Selman's jersey, that was actually pretty good, mm-hmm. you know. But that was the first jersey I ever got. But, of course, my fandom has always been the San Diego slash L.A. Chargers, you know, going back. Now, Charles, you remember when I was in college, I used to rock a lot of Miami Dolphins gear, mostly because of Dan Marino. But I've always had this love of the Chargers because of their offense, of course, and the lightning bolts on their helmets and shoulder pads and you and legs and stuff on their pants. I've always loved them because of what they represented, which was high octane offense with Dan Fouts, who's all my all time one of my all time favorite players, um, and of course yet. Say out later on, but of course, and, and the basic, and also the greatest receiving tandem in NFL history, I should say, Kellen Winslow, Wes Chandler, and Charlie Joyner. You know, but they never won a Super Bowl. Never, they never got one. Got to a Super Bowl with uh, as Coriel was their co- was their coach. You know, because their defense was so terrible. You know, and that was the that was the thing. Now, Chuck, you've. When I remember, I remember when you was in college, you was a big Skins fan, you know, big Washington fan. I don't know if that, that's, that's the case now since they changed the name and everything else. So who are you rocking with these days? I kind of rock with the Saints these days. Now, to go back to what you just said, just for a second, it was also another culprit in preventing you guys from winning because Chuck Muncy, he would just fumble at the just yes. absolute worst possible time yes. every single time. You know, that kind of used to cost you guys too. But kind of back on to what you asked me, I got to rock with the Saints these days because it's kind of like was a thing like when I was a kid, you know, we used to live, I was in Baton Rouge, which was outside of the 80-mile radius from from New Orleans. So if if they didn't sell out, you wouldn't see the games as a kid. So, 
you know, be, me being a Skins fan and the NFC and all of the great matchups those days, you used to pray that the Saints had a home game that, that, that day. Because, you know, as my dad, my late father would say, the only thing the damn Saints are good for is keeping, keeping you from watching a good game. Because if they come on, you know, the local coverage would preempt whatever. That's right. It could be Cowboys versus 49ers. If the Saints have a road game at the same time, we're stuck with the Saints. And this is before, you know, internet, whatever. You know, cable was barely prevalent in those days. So you were just stuck like Chuck. You know what I mean? But I, when I became a grown-up, started spending some money going to the Saints game. It's like, well, damn, even though they stink, it's an NFL team literally an hour up the road and started going and um, started liking them. I was actually um, in attendance when they won their first playoff game over the defending Super Bowl champs, St. Louis Rams. Right. And that's when they had, you know, like, um, they they had – I think Vermeer, no, March was the coach. Mark was the coach. Ball, that was a famous Alakim fumble on, the, on that punt. That was a famous Alakim fumble on the punt. That's right. Correct, because the Saints were up like 17 in the second half, and people were leaving the game, and it was like, look, they're the damn Saints. They're the same team that once blew a 28-zip lead to Joe Montana and the 49ers and found a way to lose. Stay, right. and surely enough, to your point, it came down and we were biting our nails. And when they punted the ball, Azakim fumbled and, and that kind of secured their very first playoff win. So I've kind of been um, with them ever since, you know, kind of, you know, just supporting the, um, supporting the home team, basically, you know. Now, Mark, you, you said that you were a Buccaneers fan. I'm going to give you another Buccaneers memory that I have. When y'all won our first Super Bowl against the Raiders, I was rooting so hard for the Buccaneers. And the reason why is because the Raiders are in our division. Mm. My dad is a Raiders fan, which I'll get into in a second. And the reason that that's one of the reasons why I became a Charger fan was because my dad is so much of a Raiders fan. And I was so happy, you know, that, you know, the Buccaneers finally won a Super Bowl. And I was thinking, okay, the Saints are next. Saints got to win one. So if the Buccaneers won a Super Bowl, I mean, come on, the Saints got to win one eventually, you know, and then maybe one day us. So, in, <laughs> so you know, and, and I was, and I was so I mean, that team, that defense was just, you know, so so talented. Now I'm asking this: as a Buccaneers fan, do you think that that was John Gruden's team, or was that um, what, what was? Uh, I can't think of his name right offhand. The coach before. Tony Dungy. Tony, Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's team. Well, I think it was a mix of both because Tampa was not really known for their offense that year. And right. for some reason, Brad Johnson came out looking like a champ, especially towards the end of the season. Right. Uh, headed towards the playoffs. Brad Johnson played like, like a Joe Montana. <laughs> Um, so I think it was a little bit of both, uh, but the defense for sure that was that was Dungeons doing there, right? Because I mean, you really think about it. You had Derek Brooks, of course. You had Warren Sapp. You had uh, Ronnie Barber. You had a whole lot of just unbelievable. Dexter Jackson. Yeah, Dexter Jackson. I mean, you had everybody who's anybody on defense, right? You know, you go to Philadelphia, 
And you'll exercise one demon because you'll finally want a game where it's below freezing. You're like 20 degrees playing in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. and it was the last game of the vet. You know, if I'm not mistaken, that was the final game of the vet. And y'all closed the vet down, thankfully, by beating, by going to the Super Bowl. And I thought that was in, in Don, slamming the door once again on Donovan McNabb and slamming the door on Andy Reid once again in yep. the NFC Championship game, you know. So it, I, that was a really awesome team. Yeah, it was – I mean, I, believe it or not, I was, I was scared of the, the Raiders, man. Number yeah. one offense in the league. Them boys, guys were tough, bro. And um, I was worried. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and when you talk about Super Bowl, I, and and I wrote down my least favorite memory. And, of course, as a Chargers fan, our least favorite memory was Super Bowl Twenty Nine, where we got destroyed by the 49ers. And this was before I met Chuck, but this this happened. The Super Bowl, I was living in the dorm on campus. And the Chargers, of course, were in the Super Bowl. I go down to watch, they had like a Super Bowl party in my dorm, in the lobby of the dorm. I go down there with my Chargers hat, my Junior Seau jersey, go down there, and everybody in the party was either a 49er fan or said that we had no shot. And the game was close. At least the first half, we were kind of close. But if you looked at it on paper, you had Steve Young on one quarterback. The other quarterback is Stan Humphreys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was like, yeah, we had a better defense. Did we have a better defense? I don't know. Probably not. Because we only had Seau, you know. But us getting to the Super Bowl with that year in 94 was was basically one of the one of the most unbelievable and one of the most far-fetched things. Because we started off that year 7-0. and The Chargers had never started off 7-0 ever in the history of the team. Ever. And we, you know, everybody, and then we had that swoon toward the end of the year, and then we finally got to the playoffs. We upset Miami in San Diego on a on a late touchdown pass from Humphreys to Mark Say. Um, and then we go to Pittsburgh, and we won on a goal line stand against the Steelers at Three Rivers. That was the first time we had ever beaten the Steelers at Three Rivers. So it was, and it was like a magical ride for us, and it all ended tragically when Steve Young throws a Super Bowl record, six touchdown passes, yeah. it basically destroys us. So yeah. that's like my not-so-favorite not, And not to be a cynical butthole, not to be one. You know you know I can be at times. Yeah. But, man, you thought you had a shot with Marion Butts at running back, man. Yes, we did. I, yeah. <laughs> I really did. I really did. You asked us, I was like, bro, we're going to pull off the biggest upset ever. You know, and a quarter and a half into it, we're like, dude, can I sink into the ground right now? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, but that's what I expect about you, man. You was in a room full of other people. And even though I didn't know you at the time, but me knowing you like I knew you, know you, I guarantee you still, even in the, in the face of adversity and defeat, you still stood tall like a champ, even in that midst. Yeah, you, that's, the only, you, that's, you the only it, that's the only way I can do it, man. That's the only way. Exactly. You know? So, Mark, so I'm going to get with you next on this. All-time favorite player. If you had to, your all-time favorite player, straight up right now, who is it? Who is it? Uh, 
Favorite all-time favorite NFL player? Uh, You're asking me or Mark? I'm going Charles first. Mark can go first. Then Mark no. go first. No, oh, you go. Well, for me, there's only one name, one name only, the real GOAT. Screw what they say. No no offense, Mark. You my guy. Screw what they say about Tom Brady. The real GOAT, unquestionably. And that's Mr. Johnny Unitas, man. You know, the brother that invented the two-minute drill. He, he invented the two-minute drill. He invented the timing pattern. He had, you know, like even as recently as within the past 10 years, Drew Brees just broke his consecutive touchdown game passing record. And he, he played in an era in which, you know, it was predominantly run based and they didn't throw the ball all over the place. Then on top of that, the man called his own game on top of that, right. you know, because, you know, in those days, the quarterback used to call their own plays back in the day. So me, unequivocally, no question about it, Johnny Unitas. All right, that's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't think you were going to go there, Chuck, but that's very interesting. I like that. I like that. Going really old school. I really like that. Okay, Mark, who you got? Well, I kind of got two. One offense, one defense. Defense, John Lynch. Oh yes, yeah. When when Tampa cut when Tampa got rid of him, almost burnt my flag. <laughs> and then on on offense, he was a weird guy. But but uh, uh, Francis Asbury Tarkenton. Fran Tarkenton, okay. Like he he was different. Nobody was doing what he was doing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> At that time, nobody. He was very entertaining to watch. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, he pretty much invented scrambling. You know, he has the record for most – he had the record for most yards, most completions, most attempts, you know, all time. Unfortunately, he went to three Super Bowls and lost them all, but you can't – you can't – you can't – you don't have the NFL without him, you know, no. pretty much. You don't really have the NFL without him, you know, and he was – I mean – from what I've seen of him, and, and, and he was doing the same thing at Georgia, you know, because he went to University of Georgia right up the street from here, and they talk about him like he played yesterday, you know, of how reverent he is. I mean, because he's he's actually from this area. He went to Georgia, and he was just – he was doing all of the scrambling and everything before he even went to the NFL. Yeah. And, he, you know, and people forget about how good he was, even with the, the little time that he's played with the New York Giants. In the yeah. 60s and early 70s, he was still, you know, doing that thing. And then he went to Minnesota. He became a little bit more refined. But he still could scramble from time to time, you know. Now, m- me personally, I have two. One may seem very sacrilegious with what I'm about to say, my all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite players. It may sound sacrilegious because he played in the same division as us. Okay, so I watched him twice a year. But my all-time favorite player, going back to when I was 13 years old, watching the 1986 AFC Championship game, Cleveland-Denver, the drive by John Elway was the greatest thing I had ever seen. (laughs) And I I give you two games, that one, and I give you another game. Um, They lost, but it was also the greatest regular season game I have ever seen, which was Dolph, which was the 
Chiefs, Broncos at Mile High Stadium on Monday Night Football in 94. When Joe Montana throw, you know, goes down the field, scores, and then John Elway gets the ball back with less than two minutes, scores, but left too much time on the clock for Joe Montana, and Joe Montana drives him down the field to score the game winner with like eight seconds left to Willie Davis. But what, but really what got me with that game was this. Right before they scored, right, the, on the scoring play, actually, they had 10 men on the field. And he told Shannon Sharp, he knew that there was like 10, they only had 10 men because they were missing a receiver. He told Shannon Sharp, screw it up a little bit. Just screw it up a little bit because if you didn't, that's a penalty. So he realized that. He figured that out. He realized that, and he, and he scored on a quarterback sneak. That was John Elway to a, just perfectly, you know, and I was so happy that he won a Super Bowl, even though they were in our division and their rivals and everything. I had to give credit where credit to do. My all-time, one of my all-time favorite players is John Albert Elway. You know, and I remember why he would use that Stanford. You know, unfortunately, he never played in a bowl game because he didn't really have much around it, but he did so much just by himself, you know, when he was at Stanford. The other guy is, of course, Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders is the greatest running back these eyes have ever seen. Now, I did see Walter Payton, and I love Walter Payton too, but if I had to give the edge, i give the edge to, to Barry Sanders. Why? Because he did most of that by himself. And he should have been the all-time. And if he would have, if he'd have kept playing, I really do believe he would have been the all-time leading rusher in NFL history so far that no one would have been able to, to touch him. Absolutely. And kind of the brief comments about both of your players, like going back to Mark, could you just imagine under the current rules in 17-game seasons and the current offensive philosophies and the rules with the defense, how much carnage Fran Tarkenton would cause in today's game? Oh, my God. We're talking possible 5,500 thousand yards yeah possibly, possibly 50 touchdown routine and comment about elway you know afc hadn't won the super bowl in like um 15 years since 83 when the um los angeles raiders beat the skins and he was kind of basically in the twilight winner of his career that game against the packers in 97 yep. and you know his career was said to be over and then they had a contending team and he saw at the time that might be his only his last shot at getting the Super Bowl. And I still remember that third down run when he literally gave his whole body to the cause. And that kind of inspired his team. Like, okay, goddamn, let's get up and let's win this damn game. And he he got it done at the tail end and then finished his career walking off into the sunset by going back to back. So you can't argue with that. Bonafide first ballot Hall of Famer, no question about it. You know, and, and then, you know, you, and then, you know, Mark, you, you know, talking about Tarkenton, I mean, I mean, he had, I mean, you know, he had everything. The, the Vikings, I don't know what it was, but the Vikings had the defense, you know, because you had the purple people eaters. You have a solid defensive secondary with Paul Krause in the back who's in the Hall of Fame. One of the most underrated Hall of Fame defensive backs ever, you know, but for some reason, they just couldn't get it done in a big game, you know. Um, a lot of people want to make the comparison of, of, you know, 
comparing Fran Targenden and comparing him to Russell Wilson. Do you see that comparison? No, I didn't. You know, because a lot of people say, well, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, because I think the reason why is because they're both short, they both wasn't, you know, both of them got rocket arms, but they're both uh, small in stature and both can run around, you know. You know, I kind of see that if you squint hard enough, maybe, yeah. you know, but I don't, that, that's one comparison that I really don't, you know, don't particularly see. You know, before we move on to the predictions, anything else that you want to add to the discussion? Um, I I would say, you know, like my second player of all time, you know, would be, you know, I would have to go with Lawrence Taylor, you know. Yeah. Because the man could snort crack all day, the night. <laughs> <laughs> and just imagine, he was just doing all of this smoking crack. And, and not to insult the man, I'm just saying, you know, he was doing that, all of that, while partying, living it up in New York at the time and all of that. He basically kind of restructured. He made the left tackle essential in right. the game. Because you remember when mm-hmm. he first came into the league, the outside linebacker used to rush the running back. Now it's the running back's responsibility for blocking that, right. the outside linebacker. But they quickly came to the realization that um, that concept was obsolete and they had to kind of, you know, devise a new scheme schematic, hence the left tackle. And now, you know, it's, it changed the game, you know, left tackle protecting the predominantly right-handed quarterback's blind side and just, he changed the entire game, the entire framework, and the entire um, word, 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 priority of, you know, building a team. Because, you know, like right after your quarterback, then your next most important things are perhaps the the left tackle to yeah, the, the quarterback side. and yeah, then the on the other side of the ball. Right. Yeah, the pass rusher to kind of neutralize the quarterback. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else Mark, you want to add? Nope. <laughs> so, I mean, right now, okay, we, we start off the show by talking about the Rams winning the Super Bowl, and both of you, I think all three of us are in agreement that the Rams will not repeat. So who do you think is going to be raising the Lombardi Trophy come February this year? Buffalo now, Bills. Remember, this is recording, so I got I got you on record. So, <laughs> as a Bucks fan, I'm telling you, I feel an AFC team's gonna win it, and it'll be Buffalo. Now, a lot of people are going with Buffalo. A lot of people are going with Buffalo. I think that if the AFC playoffs go through Buffalo, then they will be there because you got to deal with that, which is a very good team. You got to deal yep. with the crowd, and you got to deal with the weather. So. Mm-hmm. If they get home field throughout, then I think it's going to be um I think it's gonna be I think Buffalo could end up winning the whole thing because they got they got pretty much they got the whole package of their yeah. Buffalo finally. You know, Josh Allen, great quarterback. I, I I love Josh Allen. You know, he's he's a tough guy and he's perfect for Buffalo. You see, he's a lot like yeah. Jim Kelly. He was a tough guy. He, I mean, Jim Kelly was nowhere near as mobile as as he is, but um, he's a tough guy. He fits Buffalo perfectly. Yeah. Chuck, who do you think? For me, 
I concur one million percent with Mark. I, I, I would have to say, um, I would say um, Buffalo myself, you know, like, um, you know, it just seems like, you know, they have the main prerequisite for a Super Bowl winning team, which is the um, elite in the prime quarterback, mm-hmm. which they definitely have. And, and to your point, Dana, that you just made in terms of the importance of home field advantage, I think that's certainly attainable with how loaded the AFC is this season, where, you know, a typical, I'm, I still think in 16 game terms, so it's difficult for me to convert the 17 game terms, but you figure like with a 17 game season, your win total to get home field throughout would have to be around 13 games. But probably with as loaded the AFC is, your, 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 your home field advantage team, your number one seed may go 12 and five because the conference is just absolutely loaded. So it's going to be hard right. to fathom a team running off 13 or 14 wins. Right. Especially if now NFC, that's possible because the NFC is nowhere near as loaded as the, as the mm-hmm. AFC, because I was seeing it before, you know, before I came on, I'm thinking, okay, which NFC team could reach the Super Bowl? You know, I mean, because they've got so many out there. I mean, because the ones that's out there in the NFC, they're all pretty much average. And they all got flaws. Mm-hmm. You know, all, every one of them got flaws. You got Dallas. No one in their right mind going to bet on Dallas because they're going to implode eventually. Um, Philadelphia, another team that's going to implode. Okay. Green Bay, they lost their top receiver, you know, and – it's just a matter of time before Aaron Rodgers leaves. Okay. You know, you got Arizona. I don't trust Kyler Murray yet. I don't trust him. You yeah. know, and then Tampa Bay, you know, I know you're a Bucks fan, but in my opinion, I think the Bucks are playing on borrowed time. Because it's just a matter of time before Tom Brady gets hit the right way, if ever he gets hit. But if he does get hit the right way, he's gonna turn into Peyton Manning. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's what I'm thinking. As a Chargers fan, first of all, can we? Why are we such a? Why are we in a, such of a terrible bad division? As far as like everybody in the division's good, everybody. I mean, whoever. I think whoever will win that division is going to win it with nine or ten wins, because everybody going to beat up on everybody. You know, mm. I mean, we got. I think the best quarterback. One of the best, Justin Herbert, is up and coming. He's not like he's not up to Pat Mahomes level yet, which I, I'm a big Mahomes fan, even though he plays for the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to fall back because they, they lost Tyreek Hill. Okay, and as far as the NFC, as far as the whole AFC is concerned, it's easy to pick out who's going to be the bad teams in the AFC. It's easier to do that than yeah. to predict who's going to be a good team because you know Cleveland, Jacksonville, and Houston are going to be bad. Everybody in, in the Jets. Everybody else, you got they got a legitimate shot. Everybody from Buffalo, the Chargers, you know, Kansas City, all the way down to Indianapolis. People forget that, you know, Matt Ryan went down to Indianapolis and he, he and he's one of those players that I think just needs a change of scenery. Because they've been trying to run Aaron. They unfortunately here in Atlanta, Atlanta is typically in the case of Matt Ryan, in my opinion. They have a tendency, whenever they have a great player here in Atlanta, they don't appreciate him enough. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's what ha- that's what's happening here. In, what's going to happen here in Atlanta? They didn't appreciate him enough. He won an MVP. He's the greatest player in my opinion in the history of the Falcon franchise. But they always complained about him not playing well in a big game. They complained about him in the Super Bowl being too cute with the, you know with the with the play calling and stuff like that, which wasn't really his fault. But they did get kind of cute, to be honest. <laughs> but. But I think that the NFC is just, you can just pick, it's hard to pick. The Rams, I don't think, I think the Rams, either the Rams or somebody of that ilk is going to make the Super Bowl by default. But the real drama is going to be in the AFC. I really do believe that. Yeah, and then don't forget, you also also got the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, but the good thing about that is that a team that loses the Super Bowl, the next year they have, like, this fall off. Yeah. And they were something of a Cinderella story last year, and they snuck up on people. Yeah, you know? I think so. You got, you got, you know, you got teams that's laying in the weeds like Tennessee. Tennessee is just laying, just, just, just waiting, you know. You know, Tennessee's that one team. You know, you can't sleep on Pittsburgh. You know, even though they lost Roethlisberger, you can't sleep on them. You know, there's a whole lot of teams that you can't sleep. Denver with Russell Wilson, you can't sleep on them. You know, so it's going to be wild and crazy. The best, the best prediction I can be is going to be an interesting year. That's the only thing I can predict. Um, I think for the NFC, you before last week, it's def, I had two sleeper teams before last week. Um, the first being, and I'm not being a homer, um, the Saints, because, you know, they have an elite defense and they really restocked the receiving core and uh, um, and all of that and look like Jameis now has the weapons. But then, you know, they turn around and trade the best nickelback, bar none, in the league for basically a sack of potatoes last week. So <laughs> that kind of, I, I don't know, just not only his tangible skill set, but his intangible infectious personality and how he kind of kind of energizes the person and, and helps morph the personality of the team. I think that's going to be even more missed. But then my other sleeper team and you, um, Dana, you touched upon it, but you dismissed them is ironically is ironically the team that traded for um, CD Deuce last week. I think the Eagles could be a sleeper team to, um, you know, make the Super Bowl because say what you will about Jalen Hurts, one thing he's not going to do is get you beat and lose games. That's true. You know, he's going to give you a shot to win because he generally kind of minimizes his mistakes. And um, and 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 I think that's honestly, I I agree that the Rams um aren't going anywhere. As far as Tennessee, they got Ryan Tannehill next. They, they as long as they have him, they have no shot. Long as they have him, they have no. They don't have a chance in hell as long as he's the quarterback. Same thing for Matty Onice. You know, he just um, he just he, he's a good player, but he just he just finds a way. He finds a way to lose, man. He just so. But but one thing I can agree with you about is it's going to be very very interesting. It's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah, and I'm just hoping. That all of the you know just being just speaking as a Chargers fan, all of the moves that we made in the offseason to improve our defense, you know, and the and, the, and also the maturation 
continued maturation of Justin Herbert. I hope he, you know, I hope that he, it, it, it turns out because he shot. And then our coach, Brandon Staley, I don't know if he thinks that he's playing Madden. Uh, many times he goes for it on fourth down, you know, but over time, I mean, sometimes, honestly, he scares me at times. He scares me, but Justin Herbert got the got the balls to get it done, and he gets it done, you know. And then us getting Khalil Mack on the defense go along with Joey Bosa, you know, that's going to help, you know. But we're just in a very, very good division, and I cannot wait to play the Raiders Sunday because we want we're looking for revenge for what happened at the end of the year last year, keeping us out the playoffs because all we needed was a tie with the Raiders. And we had a tie, but Jim Staley decided to call a timeout, but that's another story. I'm going on a tangent here. But, you know, but, you know, I think that the Bucks are going to be – they're going to be decent. You know, again, I think they're playing on borrowed time, but I think it's going to be between Tampa Bay and New Orleans in that division. I really do think that. It's going to be between them two in that division. The Falcons, you got Martin Mario with that quarterback. Good luck. And then yeah. Carolina. Is anybody left in Carolina? You know, that's, you know that, that, that's what I'm wondering. But, you know, any other things you guys want to add to heading into this new NFL season? Well, I'm hoping my Bucks at least uh, make it to the playoffs. That's, uh, I'm never one of them that's always, oh, we're going to Super Bowl. Nope. I hope for the playoffs. Then we go right. from there. But <laughs> with the center out. Down, anything can happen, right? Yeah, with the center out. Uh, most offensive line, it's gonna be a tough. It's gonna be a tough season. Yeah, y'all did lose y'all center. That's right. That's so, it. You read about that. Yeah, that 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 hurts real bad. But we'll see. We'll see. Them guys are the uh, between Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is, is a great coach. I love him. Um, right. And I, I think he's gonna be able to put something together. Chuck, what you got? Anything? Well, for me. Just one thing, you should have two division wins in the bag already, as far as the Chargers are concerned, man. You know, you played Derek Carr twice, bro. Come on, man. He just oh, Derek Carr you know, last year, just, you know, in a game that really mattered. But even though he, it really wasn't him, it was really the running back for the, for the Raiders that really got us. You know, we just couldn't stop the run. But now we – and Staley – our coach is a defensive coach, so I don't know what happened there. But, you know, the Raiders is that one team that is, they're like Russia. You don't know what they got. You don't know what's going on with them. And, they, and they, they're, 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 they're shrouded in mystery, you know, that team. You just don't know. They can come out there and go 14-3, and three, or they can go 3-14. and 14. You just don't know, you know. And it, I know it's a wide thing, but – they're a good team, but with the Raiders, you just don't know, especially with Derek Carr. He's so erratic. And, that, and to get to before I kind of see this, somebody had mentioned they had ranked the top quarterbacks in our division. They ranked Herbert last, which is absolutely not, which no. is ludicrous. You know, Mahomes is number one, and- Herbert and Herbert and and. and and Russell Wilson would be two and three either way. But Carr should be last. Herbert is second. You think so? Herbert is second. Mm. 
Herbert is, uh, if we going on present value, you have to say Herbert is currently second. Because, you know, obviously at this point, Russell is, I mean, Wilson has had the better career. But as of right now on this date, September 4th, who is the better player at this current moment? It's undoubtedly your quarterback. Okay. Well, guys, I really, really appreciate you guys coming on here tonight, man. Um, I really appreciate it. Me and Mark, I know you got to go back to the game because um, I know you, 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 your Florida State Seminoles are playing right now. How's it looking right now? FSU 17, LSU 3. What? Okay. Okay, so there's going to be a few mad people in this house, especially my son who's an LSU fan, unfortunately. Well, no, get me wrong. LSU LSU run defense is, is good, but, man, they – look, drop ball. Their offense is just not clicking. Right. Um, they look sluggish. They really did look they, they, they really do. But their defense, don't, don't sleep on LSU defense. No. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's, now, it's, that we, now that we're getting deeper in the game – we're starting to run the ball a lot more and getting some yardage, but I mean, no, some guys came to play. Right. Chuck, I really thank you for coming on too, man. I know that you out with your, you, you out on semi vacation, you know, and I'm really glad that you took time out of your night to, to, to join us today. Absolutely, man. I always love coming on with you guys. And as usual, it was a lot of fun. And once again, thank you. All right. Fellas, we're going to close it out here, and I really thank you guys for coming in. And uh, we're going to come back right after this short break. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports, It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. The soundtrack is provided by Raphael Crux from filmmusic.io. And we're back once again, and you're tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we are celebrating the return of both college and pro football. This is our Welcome Back to Football special edition of the podcast. I'm Dana Auguster. Once again, your host, and um, we're back to close out the show. And right now, I will give you my detailed predictions for the upcoming NFL season, postseason, all the way up to Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona, in February. So let's go ahead and break down the division and each team's record, starting off in the AFC. The AFC East have the Bills winning the division with a record of 13 and 4. 
followed by the Patriots at 10 and 7, the Dolphins at 8 and 9, and the New York Jets rounding out the division at 6 and 10. I mean 6 and 11, excuse me. Um, in the in, in the AFC North, I have Baltimore edging Cincinnati to win the division. Both teams will finish 11 and 6 and both teams will make the playoffs. Followed by the Pittsburgh Steelers at 9 and 8 and the Cleveland Browns at 6 and 11. Over in the South, the Colts will win the division with a record of 10 and 7. Followed by the Tennessee Titans at 9 and 8, Jacksonville at 4 and 13 and the Houston Texans at 2 and 15. And over in the AFC West, my division, I have the Chiefs winning the division once again with a record of 12 and 5. But the Chargers will also finish 12 and 5, but lose out to the tiebreaker with the Kansas City Chiefs. The Raiders will finish 9 and 8, while the Denver Broncos finish one game behind at 8 and 9. That breaks down the N the AFC. Now moving over to the NFC. In the NFC East, I have Dallas. Winning the division at 11 and 6, followed by the Eagles at 10 and 7, the Commanders at 6 and 11, had to get used to that name, and the New York Giants at 5 and 12 to round out that division. Over in the NFC North, Green Bay finishes with a 12 and 5 record, followed by the surprising Detroit Lions with a record of 9 and 8. They will be in the playoff hunt right up until the last week of the regular season, believe it or not. That will be followed by the Minnesota, I'm sorry, followed by the Minnesota Vikings, which will have a record of actually 10 and 7. And the Chicago Bears at 5 and 12. Over in the NFC South, I have the New Orleans Saints edging out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win the NFC South with a record of 12 and 5. Followed by the Bucks with 11 and 6. Carolina at 5-12, and, and the Atlanta Falcons at 4-13. And, and over in the NFC West, I have the Rams coming back to win the division with a 12-5 mark, followed by the San Francisco 49ers, one game behind at 11-6. The Arizona Cardinals at 9-8, and, and the Seattle Seahawks rounding out the division at 5-11. Now, moving on to the playoffs. The playoff matchups in the NFC in the AFC will be like this. The Kansas City Chiefs and the Pittsburgh Steelers will face off in the playoffs and have the Chiefs winning that game 31 to 20. The LA Chargers will take on the Indianapolis Colts and the Chargers will win that one 35-17. And the Baltimore Ravens will end the Bengals quest of returning to the Super Bowl beating their division rivals 21 to 14. Over in the and over in the NFC, the wild card games would be as follows. The Los Angeles Rams would beat the Minnesota Vikings 17 to 14 in a low-scoring defensive battle. Also in another wild card game featuring two division rivals. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will outlast the New Orleans Saints 31 to 14 and the rekindled memories of great NFC playoff battles from years past. The Dallas Cowboys will knock off the San Francisco 49ers 27 to 20. Now moving on to the divisional round. Baltimore in the AFC, Buffalo who had home field advantage would knock off the Baltimore Ravens 27 to 17 in Buffalo while the Chargers would upset 
the Kansas City Chiefs 31-27 at Arrowhead for both teams advancing to the NFC to the AFC Championship game. Over in the NFC, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would lose to the Green Bay Packers, who have home field advantage throughout the postseason. In the, in the NFC, they go up to Lambeau Field and fall to the Green Bay Packers 27 to, 27 to 18. And over in the other divisional round, we have the Los Angeles Rams knocking off the Dallas Cowboys 24 to 20, setting up the NFC Championship game, which would be the Green Bay Packers and the Los Angeles Rams. Over in the, over in the AFC, the Buffalo Bills will, will return to the Super Bowl this year, knocking off my Chargers, unfortunately, 17 to 10 in the AFC Championship game, while over in the NFC, the Green Bay Packers will try to claim, reclaim their title town distinction, knocking off the Los Angeles Rams 28 to 20 at Lambeau Field, setting up Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona between the Buffalo Bills and the Green Bay Packers and Buffalo for the first time ever. The Buffalo Bills will claim the Lombardi Trophy Bringing the city of Buffalo their long-awaited Super Bowl championship, they would defeat the Buffalo. They would defeat the Green Bay Packers, 38 to 27 in Glendale. That is my detailed prediction of the NFL season. My season MVP, I will have to go with Justin Herbert of the Los Angeles Chargers. Yes, I know I'm a Chargers fan, but his growth over the last few years is going to be absolutely tremendous and this team is tremendously talented and is on the rise and will be a power in years to come so that would just not do it for this edition of the historically speaking sports podcast i'd like to thank my partners in crime charles combs and mark booty for joining me as our guests talking about their memories and their their love for the sport of football I'm glad that they were able to come on with me this week and please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and drop us a line or two whenever you get a chance if you like what you hear here our email address of course is historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com so until then until next time please be kind to each other and take care see you soon Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football, 
Through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, you'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.